All right, everybody. Welcome back to another special episode. I have with me Craig Carlson on the Life in the Fast Lane podcast. How you doing, Craig? Doing great, man. It's your favorite time to talk to me, isn't it? Oh God, I don't know. I'll, <laughs> don't know if I'm gonna make it through this or not. <laughs> I know. So, um, like I was, t- I was telling Nick on one of the podcasts that we just did. Um, once. One of the times when I stayed back when they went to the Belmont Dealer Day, um, you and I had some really cool conversations when we went to uh, Bahama Mike's, beautiful place that we get some great seafood. Awesome. And what, you get the chicken shrimp quesadilla? No, 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 just a blackened chicken. Blackened chicken. With Obey. Mm. Uh, maybe I got the shrimp. It is uh, one of the best quesadillas you'll ever get. It is pretty damn good. It's awesome. So, um, But no, I wanted to kind of talk and figure out um, what are your roles here at Dawson, and then what, where it kind of started. So let's start here with where it started with you. You started off doing a printing company. Um, I don't know what year that was, but kind of give us the evolution of where you started with the printing company and go from there. Uh, it, it goes way back. I think uh, Jesus and I started it together. I like it. And then he decided to just let me run it. He had some other things to do. Yeah, he had more, some more, more important, important things. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Oh, God, man. I'd have to go all the way back to, like, when I was – I bought my first company when I was 23. Uh, I bought a company that repaired calculators, of all things. Yeah. Yes, I actually, actually did repair calculators. Now, was it, like, Texas Instrument calculators or just regular, like – No, the kind that you would normally see, the you know, big desktop units. Uh, yeah. And it, uh, it – back then, we had – our biggest client was Sovereign Bank, which is now Bank of America, uh, here in the D.C. area. And we had contracts just to keep all their all – their, Calculators running. So now, we, is that just the D.C. area, or was that a national thing where they would, like, ship them to you? No. No, ours was just regional. It was, okay. Uh, it was Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. Okay. Yep. So we had all those branches, and we would go all these different banks and just go in there and just fix their calculators so they, they didn't screw up everybody's account when they were figuring their money. And it just seems bizarre now that anybody would have paid to fix a calculator back then yeah now it's just like let me whip out the phone and use your phone or something like that exactly exactly um but yeah i had a i had a started that business when i was 23 i had a partner um and we decided at one point to bring on a third partner to to generate more sales but it ended up being a bad move because i don't know if, how many people out there have partners that haven't worked out but it's, it can be difficult yeah um and it got to the point where the other two partners were sabotaging each other, and I'm, I'm like, dude, oh, wow. I'm like, dude, you're you're tanking this business because you you, you don't like this you guy. You can't get along. And then I found out that uh, Sovereign Bank was going to do an in-house program, and we were going to be losing all those contracts. And so they asked me to head it up. And I'm looking at going, I'm looking at my business that I own. I'm like, okay, I got two partners that are just trying to kill each other. We're losing money, and we're getting ready to lose our biggest account. So I sold. I think off. I'm gonna jump ship. <laughs> yep, that's what I did. I said, I know if I sell a certain amount of shares to partner number three, that partner number one will end up leaving. And so I did. I went to the. I took that job in the bank, cushiest job I ever had. They gave me literally an unlimited budget. They said, here's a building. We'll build it out any way you want. You can go out. And you can buy ten vans at the time we needed for our, our service department, and it was like. It's crazy because I could just, anything I wanted, I could just go stroke a check for it. That's crazy. Um, and I did it for about a year, and I hated it because I was under somebody else's thumb, and I wanted to do my own thing. And so I ended up going back with my partner to the same company, and uh, 
re, you know, kind of regenerated that whole business and ran it for a few years before he and I had problems. Then I started my own gig, which I had for 35 years, and uh, led us up to almost current day. Almost. Almost current day. Um, so how long did that last? What year did it start, and kind of what year did you end with all the printing stuff and repairing the calculators? That was probably back in like 80, it was before Nick was born. It's like 85. Okay. Uh, until 2018 when I sold it. All right. That's cool. Um, so you said you did stuff kind of in between after you had done stuff with um, Sovereign Bank or First of America. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? I know you did the printing, but what, what else did you get into? Because I know you got it into was, repairing printers and all that fun it was, stuff. It was actually, just call it office automation. Okay. We sold it, sold and repaired copiers, computer networks, um, network printers, all that kind of stuff you use in an office. And I knew that that business was kind of getting mature, meaning it was starting, instead of being on the incline, it was starting to be on the decline because yeah. people don't print as much. There's a lot more you know, electronic scanning going on. And I'm looking at it going, you know, it ain't going to be too many more years before this just fades away. Yeah, this trend's not going good for me. Yeah. And, um, it was the, the actual trend in the Baltimore, Washington area was that the, you either had gigantic companies doing that or you had uh, a few mid-sized companies that were basically buying up all the small ones trying to become bigger companies yeah. so they could compete all in the, on the same playing field. And uh, a guy that I knew for many years came to me and said, uh, are you interested in selling? And at first I said, no, you know, what the hell would I do if I didn't have this? Exactly. Until Nick came up with the mulch made idea. Mm-hmm. And then we started working on that together. And I saw that that had some uh, great possibilities and a great future ahead of it. And I decided, you know what? Now's the time to sell this dog. Sold my office automation company and went full time into mulch made. So was it a hard transition for you? Or was it something where you're like, you know, this is a, a great business opportunity and an opportunity to work with my son? How, how did all that go down? Well, I, I always tell people that the, the joke is, is, I had a business for 35 years. I could have sold it, retired, and gone to play golf. But no, yeah, I got an idea. Let me take all my money and build a manufacturing company from exactly. scratch with my son. Um, so no, that uh, not the easiest thing I've ever done. But uh, hell, I think I'm still working at least 10 times harder than I used to. I, I can attest to that because there are times when I go by during the weekends when I'm just kind of strolling around or when I'm working and I get off a of 97 and I'm like, why is the Bronco at work? And you know who it is. It's you. It's me. Um, hey, when I put my mind to something, I don't, I don't stop until I reach the goal that I have set. And the problem is I never reach a goal because as soon as I get close to the goal, I just move the damn goalposts. Hey, I like it. So I know there's a couple of stories, and there's, there's um, signs around the shop that kind of attest to it, but fail faster. Yes. Where did that come from for you? Oh, that was easy. Um, when we were first creating the, the MulchMate, before we even had the first working prototype, um, we put it together and we thought, ah, this is it, man. We got this thing ready to go and we'd test it and bam, something would break. And then we'd fix that and we'd uh, make it stronger and we'd move to the next thing and bam, something would break. And I was like, guys, we have got to fail faster. Yeah, just keep going until you get to the perfect product. And it's become, it's become a pretty good... Uh, what would you call that? Um, a motto to, to live by is that uh, if you're doing something that is unique, different, hard, never been done before, you're going to fail. 
Um, so why not just fail faster? Exactly. I like it. So before we fully dive into mulch mate and kind of how it came and I mean, we've kind of gone through the backstory of where it started and where we are now, but I also kind of want to get your perspective on it and where it started and how we are in the place we are now um, is you have a lot of things in your office like slot machines and you also enjoy repairing printers. And I remember we had a story one time or you were telling me when we went out to grab lunch one time um, is that you never fully knew everything that you were getting into but you always had the saying is figuring it out yes what was one of the things that was there any actually let's do this was there anything that ever made you go i don't know i can figure it out and you just couldn't or was it always something you found the way to figure it out I'll, i'll go back to where it all started when i was in high school i had a job at a office equipment company uh back when they they were literally working on uh, mechanical typewriters and yeah. adding machines. and uh, The old, like, yeah. Exactly. You hear um, a ding every time you had to ring it back. Yep. And so back to the, the calculator conversation, they had just started selling uh, electronic calculators, and then photocopiers just hit the market. Yeah. And uh, the guys that were repairing these old typewriters and, and such, they, they knew nothing about that. But in high school, I took some electronic courses and things like that. And, the, and since I was always a tinkerer, um, the boss came to me one day. He's like, dude, we got this copier here. Nobody has had to fix it. Do you think you can figure it out? Can you fix it? And I'm like, well, let, me, let me take a look. Looked at it, figured it out, fixed it. And you know, I fixed one, and then I fixed five, and then I fixed 100 of them. And next thing I knew, I was running their entire shop. Yeah. But the, the crazy thing was is he would send me out there to a customer's office and say, um, Here's a machine that you've never seen before. I literally didn't know how to open this thinking door. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm like, I got nobody to call, nobody that I can go back to and say, hey, man, what do I do here? Yeah, it's um, not like uh, customer support was easy to get a hold of. Zero. It was, yeah. it was me. And so I'm standing there looking at these machines. I had no clue how to even open up. And then I'd, I'd ask the customers, oh, so you tell me you got a paper jam in this thing. So show me. Show me how you go about getting it out. And then they would open the door and open the machine. i go, aha, now I know how to open it. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, that's I had zero training on these things. Um, and so I had to figure it out. And uh, as Nick was growing up, I would use that same thing with him. I'd show him how to do something, you know, with changing a tire, doing a brake job on a car or something like that. And um, you, you show somebody one or two or three times, you expect them to get it. And as a kid, they'd always say, oh, what do I do next? I'm like, dude, that's it. I've showed you five times. Figure it out. Exactly. Because if you don't put that pressure on people. They're not going to do it. They're just going to keep asking questions. You got to get them to the spot where it's like, this is on you. Figure your damn thing out. I love it. And then I know Nick said you were the one that got him into doing the go-kart racing. Yes. What sparked that in you? Was that just, hey, I want time with my son? Or was it, hey, this could this I could was, potentially lead us into things man, we could personally? Go down, we could go down a whole racing road that would take us like hours and hours to go through. But oh, That's fine. We can, we can start now. Um, <laughs> I used to skate. In my 20s, uh, I used to drag race. I have a 69 Mach 1 that I graduated in, and I still own today. Oh, I didn't know you graduated in that. I went to my graduation in that car. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I used to, before Nick was born, I used to go to a local drag strip, and I used to race the car. And then when he was born, it was about the same time that the uh, GT Mustangs first, oh, okay. first came out back in, back in the 80s. And they flooded the damn track. 
So, like, I used to be able to go to the racetrack, and I'd get, like, five or six or seven time runs before the race would actually start. Yeah. And you go into eliminations, and you had a good long day at the racetrack. Well, with the GT Mustangs there, you got, like, one time run. Yeah. So damn many of them. And so I got to the point. I was like, dude, I'm tired of this shit. I'm, I'm coming out here. I'm out of here at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm not leaving until 10 o'clock at night. And you only got, like, two runs and I got, in. like, two runs in. I'm like, this ain't worth it. So I kind of quit, and since then Nick was born, and so I was, you know, just doing the dad thing, and then I started getting into NASCAR. Yeah, watching NASCAR races, and when Nick went into second grade, oh, I know what it was. I was in Florida at my sister's house, and it was a little go kart track where you, you know, you rent cars like they have in, in Crofton. Yeah, and I took Nick on his first little go kart ride, and he was just big enough that he could get in a cart by himself, and. He's, like, scared to death. I'm like, dude, you can do it. Just, you know, all you got to do is turn the wheel, blah, blah, blah. Press and this pedal, go fast. Exactly. Press this pedal, stop. He was scared to death. And then and we went around, literally made the first right-hand turn onto the racetrack, and he looked at me with this look in his eye of, ha, ha, ha. This is going to be fun. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I have created a demon. <laughs> what am I dealing with here? And, and he, he drove his ass off that day, and he was into it, man. He just wanted to, he just wanted to drive go-karts. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to find – a legitimate go-kart racetrack somewhere. And we looked everywhere. Back there, there was no no internet, so yeah. it was kind of hard to find stuff. Was that like newspaper you went through that? or I, it- I went to a local go-kart track. I'm like, right, you guys should know where they race go-karts. Yeah. Nobody knew shit. They, really? They, they didn't know nothing. And uh, one day, Nick came home from second grade, and he goes, Dad, there's a kid in my class who was wearing this go-kart racing shirt. And um, I said, Really? I said, ask him about it, where he got it. Turns out his dad owned a race car track for, you know, for, for go-karts yeah. um, in, um, in northern Virginia. So we talked to him, found out where he was at, went down and visited it one day. And was like, this is it. This is perfect. This is what we were looking exactly for. exactly what we wanted. And we went and talked to some of the guys in the pits. It's like, hey, who, who has a whole go-kart or something? Cause I didn't know shit about any of that yeah. stuff. Um, we found a guy who had this old Margay what they call it, uh, cart. It was just junk. Yeah. And uh, bought it on the spot, threw it in the back of my car, put an old junky motor on it, and <laughs> sent him out on his way. Of course, we we sucked. Um, but he loved it. And so then it was like, all right, now I'm starting to talk to people and find out who who builds engines, who where do you get decent parts, and blah, blah, blah. And so we just got deeper and deeper and deeper into the go-kart racing every weekend. And, and the biggest problem was is at – yeah, in second grade, Nick was literally twice the size of everybody he was <laughs> racing against. And so when you put that much extra weight in a cart. It makes it a little harder to it move. It makes it really hard. So we had to really learn how to make these things faster. And we did. And when people started seeing this, this gigantic kid um, beating their kids on, on a racetrack, they couldn't figure out what the hell we were doing. Yeah. Could you imagine putting me in that cart versus oh, he, what he, he – Twice as fast. Exactly. <laughs> that's funny. So, um, no, that's cool. So, I know Nick and I, we did, I think it was either episode one or two, we kind of talked about all the the racing credentials and everything that, you know, we've gone down with him. Um, but that's cool, just, just having your side of where it started and how it came to be. So, um, I'll tell you this. If anybody out there has ever thought about it, it is one of the absolute best things you can do with your kids 
because the kids get they get deep into it. There's there's no worse drug than adrenaline. Well, haven't you guys started with um, Ellie and Dawson, haven't you? Or at least just Ellie. El- Ellie, yeah. Ellie tried it uh, a couple times. I don't know if she's going to go any more with it or not. We'll, yeah. We'll see. We're not trying to push anything on anybody. It's like, hey, here's an opportunity. You want to try it? And I mean, she seemed to have liked it from what I've seen. But she, she didn't do well the first time out. Yeah. And we didn't want her to end it on a on a bad note of of you know I, I failed at this, so we we kind of pushed her to go out a second time, and she it clicked. Yeah. Uh, she listened to everything that that uh, Nick told her to do the the line to take when to break when not to break, um, and she ended up. Uh, beating all the boys on the track that day. Yeah, well, you have to, like, shut down all your thoughts of the outside world and actually go with what you're taught and go with, from there. Yes. So it's part of the figuring it out. Yeah, she she sent a couple boys home crying. That's and awesome. And they're like, oh, she beat me. <laughs> so, of course, that made old Nikki proud. I bet. But, um, no, I, I, the cool thing about racing is that with your kids is, number one, it's a uh, – it's a carrot and a stick that you can use. It's like, hey, you want to go 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 kart racing? Then you better do you know do your homework, get everything done right. And when they start to screw up, you go, okay, look, you're going to lose all this if you don't buckle down and get this stuff done. So it's a great carrot and stick for the kids. And Nick and I would not be where we are today without racing. Yeah, I 100% agree. Because the the discipline of you got to work your tail off all week long to get the get the cart or the car, whatever you're doing to get it prepared, to get it ready, to make it fast. And then you're out there all day Saturday in the heat. Uh, there's times Nick was in the in stock car. I mean, it was like 135 degrees inside that car. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you, you you learn how to. That'll wear away at you pretty quick. It will. It'll wear you down. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's a drive and a desire that you have to, you know, that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to beat everybody on this track. I have to put forth everything I've got. And that's how we that's how we handle business. We put everything we have into it. And we well, that's kind of how. Um, so one of our previous episodes we just did because I'm not 100 percent sure when this one will drop. Um, we were talking about being obsessive and making sure that you know you're you're keeping your discipline and making sure you're doing everything perfectly the first time. Otherwise, if you don't, then you have to figure out. Well, you notice the failure, and then you have to figure out how to do it right the next time. And if you keep doing that and you don't find that actual end point, it just keeps getting more expensive or it keeps getting harder. And it's just it's one of those things that if you don't do it right the first time and you know you didn't, then it just gets harder. You, 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 know, you can't always know how, how far you have to go to make it right that yeah. first time. But you can't but cut corners. You have what people, a lot of people don't do is they don't think ahead. It's We call it, um, racing, looking at your hood pins. Yeah. Uh, the hood pins are what holds the hood on, on the front of your car. And in order to race good, you got you can't look at your hood pin. You need to look where you're going. You got to look down the track and around the corner so that you can see if there's a wreck or something down in that corner before you get there. You're exactly. Gonna, you're going to slam into it. Nick, Nick, uh, Nick's got great vision. Uh, I think, I think he actually, uh, makes a, a bald Eagle jealous. <laughs> With his vision. And Especially with your guys' game with, what is it, the Lone Stars? The Lone, I don't even want to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> I had one pass my house the other day. Yeah. I took a picture of it. I was like, Lone Star, and he sent it to Nick. It was like, yep, well, I'm not. You don't, you don't want to play that game with Nick, because I'm telling you, he'll, what, we're down, driving down the road, and he'll go, damn, look at that Ferrari. And I'm looking everywhere, like, what Ferrari? <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and like, literally, two minutes later, here comes down the road, 
And I'm like, you could not have possibly seen that thing. He's like, dude, I saw it down the road and around the corner. I'm like, I, I can't win this I game. I give up. Yeah, I, I can't. Um, but, yeah, you, got, you need to – most people just – live life looking at their hood pins. You can't. You got to look further than that. You got yeah. you got to anticipate what's coming. You got to look and say, okay, if if I do a b and c, is that going to get me to d or is there going to be something else that pops in there that's going to screw me up? And, and so, it gives me a curveball. Right. So you look as far down the road as you can to try to avoid some of those problems. And, you know, you're you're not if you're doing something that's never been done before, you're going to run into those problems. You're going to fail. And so that's when the fail faster comes in is look as far down the road as you can. When you hit a problem, correct it. Fix it, make it better. Keep going. Awesome. Never stop. So um, let's kind of jump into Dawson. What what are your roles here? Um, what kind of made you go, wow, this this can really be something? You know, I know it started in Park Tavern, and he had, you know, the good old golden pen or the million-dollar pen. Yep. Um, we talked about that. But um, what what is your side of the story? How does it all go? Uh, when they came up with the idea, I was like, yeah, that's, that could definitely work. Um, we went with some ideas that we thought would work, like we thought we would use gravity, you know, be able to lift the bed of the truck and have the, have the mulch just flow down into the conveyor belt and feed it. And we found out quickly that that doesn't work. Yeah. It, it'll work sometimes if your material is dry enough and... Um, you, you have know, the proper conditions. It's got, yeah, it's got to be perfect. But how many times have you seen a... Uh, a load of mulch, you got the truck all the way up in the air, and where's the mulch? It's still there. It is still up in the air, and then you're, you're banging on the truck, or you're taking a pitchfork, trying to knock it loose, and then it avalanches on you, and so you can't control it. Um, so we knew that wasn't going to work, and then Nick had an idea with the tarping system. Um, took, took quite a bit of time to make that a reliable system, which is freaking fantastic now. Um, and... Um, We've got you know, multiple patents on that idea. And it's strong as hell, too. Oh, yeah. It, it, it'll pull anything. It's kind of fun when you, like, stand on it just for shits and giggles in the back of the truck, and it just starts moving. You're like, this is kind of weird, but kind of fun. It's kind of truck surfing. Um, so the um, as we're getting further and deeper into it, I'm thinking, okay, this is a viable product. And I told Nick at one point, I said, first thing we have to do is we have to talk to a patent attorney. Yeah. Because uh, if, if this already exists or can't be done, I'm not, we're not wasting any more time or money on this. And so I found a really good patent attorney um, in Annapolis. Guy is actually an ex-fighter pilot. Oh, that's cool. He has one of the coolest names for a fighter pilot. Uh, there was a show that used to be on TV called uh, Vegas. Yeah. And the main character was a guy named Dan Tanner. Well, our patent attorney's name is Dan, Dan Tanner. Tanner. So when he became a fighter pilot in the Navy... His, his instructor says, we clearly, you're going to be Vegas. That's awesome. And so his, his fighter pilot name is Vegas. I'm like, damn, that's badass. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so uh, I went to him, and uh, he had told me later, after, after we actually got our patent, he said, my plan when I saw your, your drawings was to give you about 30 minutes of my time and then just let you down easy because <laughs> I knew this thing had to exist. And he said, I uh, did some quick research and couldn't find anything. And he said, I couldn't believe it. So I looked deeper. And Nothing. deeper. And deeper and deeper. And he says, I, I looked, I spent more time on it than I even charged you for because I couldn't believe that this idea wasn't already out there. That's amazing. And this guy does a lot of work with companies like Martin Marietta, McDonnell Douglas, a lot of defense contractors yeah. around D.C. And he says, I, I have, I've been awarded 
you know, thousands of patents for, for my clients. And he said, I've never gotten one on the first office action. Yeah. Until Mulchmate. That's crazy. That's just nuts. He says, you literally found a needle in a haystack. Um, and he said, and, and most of the stuff that I have patents on are like a, a latch and a satellite or some sort of retainer clip in, a, in some sort of, you know, weapon or a nuclear power plant. He says, hmm. nobody will ever see them. Um, he says, yours is the first product. It was actually created, patented, brought to market, and is selling nationwide, soon to be worldwide. Um, uh, yeah, that'll be sweet. He, he says, you are one of my, one of my, my shining customers. That's pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool. So, so once we got the patent, I'm like, okay, this is good. This is really this good. This is really good. Um, and Nick, Nick to this day gives me a hard time because I, I said, there's no way we're getting a patent on this. And so whenever I bring it up, he goes, oh, remember when you said we wouldn't get a patent? Yeah. Well, we did. Um, and more to come. And more, yeah. We've gotten more since then. Um, and then, so, and of, course, of course, as the machine got got better and better and closer to a, the final prototype and other people saw it, they're like, this is badass. This is a marketable product that has quite, you know, quite a reach yeah. potential to it. Um, and then when, with that and when, when uh, my friend came to me and asked me about selling the business, I was like, okay, you know what? Now's the time. Let's do this. So, so did you sell, and I don't mean to like jump back and forth on this, but when you sold the company, was it for a decent chunk of change or was it? Oh, yeah. I actually got a little bit more for it than I asked. Oh, really? Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, and, it, and I think Nick had his landscape company up for sale before mine. Oh, was it? Oh, he was, he was pissed off because his was, his was on the market longer than mine. mine so I had mine sold and done in a matter of six weeks. Really? Yeah, it was, it was quick. Cause, That's crazy. Because I had a buyer who absolutely wanted it. Uh, he didn't bark about the price, and we just got all the paperwork done and got it knocked out, and it was done. And Nick's like, seriously? <laughs> Now, I know Nick is, like, really big into systems and collecting the data. Was it the data part that took him long, or was it just nobody was interested in the landscaping company? Uh, no, he had, he, had, he had a number of bites on his landscape company. It was just a matter of the numbers working out for the potential buyers. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. That's pretty cool, though. And let me tell you, that's, that's an accomplishment when you can sell a landscape company. For all, all the guys out there that have it, um, it's one thing to own your job. And a lot of guys start off by, you know, they start mowing grass in their neighborhood and then they, they get into a point where they're, um, they're, they've got enough jobs and now they're making enough money to make a living. And then they, they go on and they buy some commercial products and they buy a couple trailers or something. Um, but you got to run it like a business. Yeah. It's hard to sell a landscape company that is named after yourself, that doesn't have any decent contracts. Yeah, it runs as like a hobby per se versus exactly. a company. It's a, a lot of guys run it. It's it's just a job that they own. Don't do that. Run it like a business. Know where your goal is going to be that one day I want to sell this business and what does that look like? The um, When I go to sell it to somebody, they're going to want to see that I've got contracts in place. It's not just me out there mowing grass every day. Yeah. Um, they need to know that it can go on without you and that's what they're paying for. Well, that's cool. So, um, what are your roles now at Dawson Manufacturing? What Where did you kind of start? Because I know in the beginning it was just like you and Nick, and I guess like a touch of Jamie at the foundry, and then he started coming on. So, what were your roles, and then what have you now evolved into? My role is uh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I used to do everything. Yeah. And now I've kind of morphed out of the actual physical work, and I'm doing more just running the business. You mean sleeping in the office? Yep. <laughs> I was sitting at my desk, staring at my computer, talking to people on the phones, answering emails, uh, cutting deals, creating creating new things. I do I do. I, I love doing the uh, prototyping on new products and f- figuring out how to make things work. Yeah. Um, at first, how to make them work from scratch because it's never been done before, and then figuring out ways to make them better. Yeah, I know the recent or most recent thing that you've been working on is the um, the Truckmate HD, yep. doing all the motors and stuff on that. Um, so, what would you say like one of your favorite parts of doing or I've, working at Dawson? Actually, my favorite part is is just that. Um, Figuring out how to how to create new products and how to make what we have even better. So, what would be your like biggest accomplishment so far here? Where where you look at it, you go, "I feel extremely grateful that I got that done." That'd be hard to answer because there's there's too many of those. There are there are multiple components just in Multimate alone. Yeah. That if those things were not created or or designed exactly the way they're designed it would not work that's crazy it absolutely wouldn't work and there's been there's been a couple couple items where you know we thought we had it nailed down pretty good and we run into a problem and it's like if we don't get this fixed we're gonna have an issue on our hands and so lots of times i do my best thinking when i'm driving yeah and I'm, I'm driving down the road and something will just pop into my head and like damn that's it right there that's exactly what we have to do yeah like, I've heard you a couple of times when you're driving, you call Nick and you just like throw an idea out. Like, I think you were heading to the shop when we were doing all the uh, content stuff at your house. And um, you were like, whoa, well, here's some low hanging fruit. What about this? How about this idea? How about this? You know, and you and Nick went back and forth on a couple of things and he shot back one thing and you were like, oh, I, that actually might work. One, one of the things about Nick and I and our relationship is um, – we, we can toss things back and forth like that, mm-hmm. and we actually kind of feed each other's brain. Yeah. And so he might say something about, uh, you, you know, I saw this or I thought about that. What do you think? And it just clicks. Something will come in my head. I go, holy shit, I know exactly what we need to do. We need to do X. Yeah. And then I'll throw it back to him. He goes, you know what? That's right. We should do X, but you know what? We can make X faster. And X bigger and better. Exactly. And, yeah. And then I go, no, I don't know if we can do that. And then I'll look at it and go, shit, we can't do it. It can't be better. Exactly. Yeah. And so we, we throw things back and forth all the time. Um, I remember when Sam, our head of production, he used to, he used to say, man, I just want to just ride with you guys or just hang with you at the shop when you guys are having your conversations. And he says, because just to listen to how you guys tackle issues or problems or whatever, just, just general conversations, he says, I don't know anybody else that thinks like that. Yeah. And he says, it's amazing to just sit back and watch it. I remember hearing George say the same thing because he was riding with you guys out to equip last year. Yeah. And when we got there, he was like, dude, their minds just don't stop and neither do their mouths. It's like you just, <laughs> you guys keep going and going and going. It's, it's not that you're like fighting or anything. You just, you get into a topic and you start going and you go down this rabbit hole and you're like, okay, well, yeah, we can make it better. We can make it faster. We can do this. We can do that. And it's, it's cool to watch that because then you could see it come to fruition right in front of our eyes. You know, I don't know how the conversation of Cartmate or Snowmate came up, but I do remember the part when Nick was making or had a prototype of the Cartmate and you guys were doing testing between a wheelbarrow and the Cartmate yep. and you turned around and you were like, make that thing right now oh yeah like that, that that's a fun story to hear about that's that that's a great story I, I, 
I'm not going to jump into that story yet, but um, the thing about Nick and I, how we throw things back and forth like that, and that's, that's, that's what you do when, when, you, when you're passionate about what you're, what you're doing. You don't just sit on your butts. Like there's some other products that are out there. People say, you know, I know a way to make that better. And they, they've contacted companies and the engineers are like, no, it can't be any better than that because the engineers just sit behind a desk. Yeah. And they're just saying, you know, I designed that. I'm sure it's perfect because I made it. Um, we don't take that approach at all. Um, let's design it. Let's see how it can break, if it can break, and then fix it, make it better before we put it on the market. There, there's been a number of times where I, I have this little this little guy that sits on my shoulder, and, and he's my negative Craig. Yeah. And he'll go, Craig, you, you know that ain't right, dude. It, it works, but you know it ain't right. It could be better. Yeah. And he, he won't stop until, until I acknowledge him and go, all right, fine, we'll work on it. And um, there's, there's times where I'll go to Nick and go, dude, we, we need to tackle this problem. And it's like, it's fine, it's fine. Don't, don't have to worry about that. And that's what we do. We go back and forth and, until we go, you know what? Not only can it be better, it can be a lot better, and we're going to do this. Yeah. And, and so we, we just never stop. We keep, keep pushing the envelope to make everything better. I get the same feeling, but it's more like that, like, lower – or upper gut where you're just like, something's not right. And I could do something different or better or change it so that it, it sticks more firm. Yep. So, um, no, that's cool. Um, so what would you say is like, you're, would you say it's a good thing or a great thing that you're able to work with Nick, the, the way you do day in and day out? Every, like what's your favorite part? What are the things that you found of, you know, well, how has it improved relationships? Yeah, a lot of a lot of fathers and sons can't work together. Yeah, at all. Um, and I go back to racing. I he needed me as the crew chief to make the cars faster so he could win. Yeah, and I needed him to bring me that damn trophy. Yeah, and that's one of the things we always talk about is we're we're, we're not worried about making money. We're not worried about a lot of those. Even even though we've got some nice cars and things like that, it's the trophy. Bring me the damn trophy. Yeah. Um, you want the win. Right. And so he knows, he's always known that he needs me to help him make the car faster to get there. Yeah. Or in this case, help make Mulchmate, make Dawson Manufacturing better. And I need him and his ideas to make it better. Yeah. So we, so we learned a long time ago how to work together to get the damn trophy. Um, and that's, that's what we do now. Yeah. I know um, – I told Nick this, and I'm not sure if I told you or not yet, but I know the one thing that I really kind of envy about your guys' relationship is it's something that I wish I was able to do with my father, and hopefully someday down the road I will be able to do, is just having that working relationship with my father. Because you guys you guys do have a great relationship together. Granted, you butt heads, but who doesn't? Yeah. You know, but it's, it's a really cool thing to see the evolution, you know, day in and day out. And the other thing is, is, we respect each other. Yes. A lot of fathers don't respect their kids because they still see their kids as... As the a, kid. As a 10-year-old. Yeah. Um, when, as Nick was growing up, he proved to me over and over again, um, uh, I'm, I'm not just some idiot kid. I listen to what you say. Yeah. I make adjustments. Um, and he's just proved himself over and over and over again. So I don't even question him anymore. That's cool. And, and in, the, in the company right now, I'm the conservative voice. And he's the aggressive voice. Now, yeah. Sometimes that causes problems between us because he's like, dude, I'm, I'm running down the street full speed. And I'm, I'm like, hold on, Nick, hold on a second now, because when you trip and fall on your face, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And so 
Uh, when you come skinning your knees, don't come crying to me. Exactly. So sometimes it's a problem, but it works out really well because we balance each other out. Yeah. So um, you're now currently, I guess Nick said lately, you're the CFO, founder, the whole night. What else do you get into nowadays outside of your, your product testing? And are there any things that you're excited about coming into the future? I, I, well, yes. We, we've got some ideas and some products that, that we think could literally change this industry in a really, really positive any way. Any little teasers? Nope. 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 Sealed lips, huh? <laughs> nope. Because if, if I give anything, people could probably figure it out. Um, the thing about this industry is it's, it's barbaric. Yes. Uh, everybody thinks you can just throw muscle and people at it. Well, that, those days are over. Um, labor's never going to get any better or any cheaper. Yeah. Um, if you're not automating, you're going to get left behind. It's like you, even you go to Walmart. And uh, all know, the self checkouts, yeah, all the self checkouts, but the, like the autonomous floor scrubbers. You know, there was a time when I people had I've seen those yet. Oh, they're they're, they're badass. Uh, it used to be people had mop and bucket and they yeah. mop those floors by hand. Now you got this, and then they moved to the floor scrubbers that you walk behind, kind of like and the you, Zambonis. And yeah, it's like a Zamboni, uh, and but they used to have to have a person either standing behind it or sitting on it driving it yeah now they're completely autonomous they drive they drive by themselves and when someone gets in the way they stop and um, ask for a tip exactly (laughs) um and and so you've you've got to learn how to automate um and even the even the manufacturing side of the landscape industry just because something's been done a certain way since since the beginning doesn't mean you can't change it and make it better yeah but uh there's a a lot of manufacturers out there, it's like, nope, this is how we do it. It's always been done like this. And we're going to keep doing it like this. Well, Nick and I have got some ideas on some some products that eventually are going to, when they when they come out, they're going to they're going to shake things up. I like it. Well, that's cool. So, um, I don't know where else do you, you think we could uh, touch on that kind of got you to where we are today? Is there anything, any life event, any change in the history of old Craig Carlson that said, you know? Kind of changed your path. Oh, yeah. I, I was telling somebody the other day. Um, I grew up very poor. Yeah. Um, we, we lived in the projects outside of D.C. Okay. And I remember when I was 16, I went to my mom, and after, you know, hearing gunshots and, and ambulance and police cars and fire trucks just about every night in our apartment project, I was like, look, Mom, we got to get out of here. Or if, if we can't get out of here, as soon as I can, I'm gone. Yeah. Because I, I can't stand it. Um, and some things happened that got us out into a, a better neighborhood. Um, but the um, – I forgot, I forgot to the point I was going at. We might have to edit this part. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, no, you're trying to get out of the neighborhood and, you know, like what changed you to make you who you are today? I was talking, okay, I was talking about just about – where um, I grew, grew up poor and um, had to fight for everything I had. Yeah. Um, I had a paper route when I was nine years old. Uh, somebody that was on my paper route taught me how to make this, this fake jewelry, uh, custom cost, costume jewelry, they call it. And yeah. At, at like 12, I used to make jewelry and go sell it door to door. Okay. Um, so I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and I said at 20, 23, I bought my first business. Yeah, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> Keep it on the rails, Craig. 
No, so um, just kind of keep it where, you know, fighting for that next thing, your, your entrepreneurial spirit. What what formed Craig? Ah, I know. Okay, back back, <laughs> he's back. Up. He's back. Too many, too many side roads, man. Um, so I I um I never I never really had anything, and I never felt like I could ever do anything. And I had a lot of people in my life that told me you can't do it. Yeah, you know, whatever it was um, when I when I started racing my my Mustang, people are like, "Dude, you're, you're not you're not any good. You can't. You're never going to be any good at this. What are you doing?" And I, I wasn't trying to be anything special. I just was having fun. Yeah. Um, but my Mustang was a four speed car, and back in the day, everybody was switching to automatics. Yeah. And I was literally like one of the last four speed cars on the track, and all my buddies with their automatics. Um, would get a kick out of watching me shift the car because hmm. typically when you shift first to second, second to third, the, the nose would drop. Yeah. Not on my car. I could shift so fast that the nose would barely move. And my, my buddies would sit on the return road and say, man, we just want to watch you shift that car. <laughs> I can't, can't believe how fast you shifted. Well, one day my brother Tony bought a 72 Nova from a, a friend of ours and um, a guy named Farmer. Yeah. It was what we called him. And he wasn't very good at shifting. We, we said he was a granny shifter. Hmm. Um, and Tony bought the car, and uh, he, did, he did better with it. And all my friends were like, dude, you got to let Craig drive it, man. Just find out how fast this car can really go. I started hearing that. And it's like, wait, that kind of feels good. Yeah, for, for once, it feels like. People were kind of cheering you on yeah. and going, like, You've, you have a really good reputation. Maybe, maybe I can do something. Um, and it was kind of weird because everybody told me I couldn't do anything. So, um, one day, my brother finally decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him drive this car. So get up to the line, and I'm, I'm getting ready. And my Mustang would drive straight as narrow. Yeah. Got up to the line, and everybody's standing there watching. And I'm thinking in my head, dude, if you don't, if you don't do good here, you're going to be laughing stock. You mm-hmm. got to get this right. So my brother's like, you better be easy on my car. Well, <laughs> I was going to be anything but easy. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take I, this thing to the races. I, I am laying this thing out there. We're going to see what it's going to do. Light turns green. I launched a car, and it went straight to the right. <laughs> I'm like, son of a bitch. So I'm, I'm fighting, trying to pull it back without getting out of the gas. And I finally had to like jump out of the gas for a second to get it straight again. Head on down the track, and I couldn't see what my time was. And, then, and as you come back the return road, there'd be a little booth there where they'd give you your time yeah. slip and, sh- and show you what you did. And all my friends are standing there in a, in a group, and they are laughing their asses off. They're holding their guts. And just, I'm like, oh, no. How bad did I oh, do? Oh, my God. I'm never going to – I'm, I'm going to have to leave. I can't, I'm not going to be able to race anymore. And I get there, and I found out not only did I beat the best time, but I beat it by like a half second. Yeah. And I'm like, that car had never gone that fast ever in its life. And uh, at that moment, I knew – I can do something. I can do this. Yeah. And uh, I tell people all the time, that was a pivotal, I'm sorry, pivotal changing point in my life was finding out that I can do it. Yeah, you had to set your mind to it, had that goal, and then you, you went for it. And another one of those things that um, that we talk about around here, fail faster, um, um, it's not what happens to you, it's how you handle it. Yeah, that. figuring like it out. And the figuring whole it out. The other thing is, is, you go ahead and tell me I can't do something. Not only am I going to show you I can, but I'm going to do it 10 times better. Yeah. And I'm not going to stop until And you're I not going to see it coming either. Exactly. So, no, that's cool. So, I mean, we'll wrap this up here. That was a – I think it was a good podcast. It was a good little background of where you were. I was probably all over the board. It's all good. <laughs> we all are the first couple. 
So, but we'll get better. We'll have a couple more podcasts. I'd love to have your um, kind of opinions on obsession and a couple of other topics that Nick and I have touched on, um, just to see what your viewpoint on is on it is as we go into the future. I'll give you a teaser. What we should do next time I'm on a podcast. I always say that one day I'm gonna write a book about how, all the little things that allowed Mulchmate to become what it is. Yeah. Because there are so many little things along the way that if they didn't happen exactly when they did at the right time in the right place this project would have never got off the ground yeah and when you hear it laid out you walk away going there's something there because that those things should not have happened the way they happened yeah but they did well it's like the foundry in itself like you guys got in two months after it opened and then it closed six months after that's, that's part of the story you know and that i think that's a really cool pivotal moment within the history of the company yep you know, maybe something that could be touched on a little bit more between you and Nick is just that story alone. So I didn't even know it was um, owned by uh, Kevin Plank. Yep. Yeah. I, he told me that the other day. I thought that was really cool. Yep. Uh, the uh, creator of Under Armour. Yeah. That's awesome. So we'll end it here. Um, but thank you guys for staying on for another episode and here with Craig Carlson. We will have him back on another episode or two and we can keep on the tracks this time. <laughs> so, but check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Dawson Manufacturing, Mulchmate USA, um, and also send us uh, any questions you have at heyfastlane at gmail.com. Um, we also have Nick's coaching program. We got to plug that in here as well. Yep. Um, but also check us out at mulchmateusa.com. So we will see you guys on the next one. Have a good one. We love y'all. Take care. See y'all.